Welcome to Cool Breeze Over the Mountain, the podcast where we chronologically step through and discuss each film starring Keanu Reeves. My name is Andrew Gordon, and I am one of your hosts. I am joined on this episode by my co-hosts. She doesn't want to be like them. They want to be like her. Whitney Nelson. Damn right. <laughs> and people see her. They notice. Lindsay Nelson. Yes, they do. Hello. <laughs> Oh my, I am excited to get right into this one, but we have a lot of, we have like a lot of housekeeping to get through here. So I'm going to try to get through this super quick. Lots of great stuff. Lots of great interactions we've had. Up top, I want to mention, as always, you can find the website at coolbreezepod.com, email us coolbreezepod at gmail.com, or hit us up on Twitter at coolbreezepod. As a small addendum here, a lot of people were surprised about some of the films that we have covered with Keanu recently, there were, uh, I, we received a couple tweets and emails about, can't believe we covered Keanu, the film, where he only has 30 seconds in the, in the whole movie, essentially. <laughs> if, you, if you ever wanted to, if you were unsure about the movies we have covered or will cover, you can now go to coolbreezepod.com slash list, and it'll take you to our Google Doc, where it's all nice and organized, and you see who's hosting and when, and it's great. So go there, if you're ever unsure. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I should look. Am I hosting this tonight? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yep, yep, I am. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We are (laughs) Eric Hall. Don't say a goddamn word. We are very professional. (laughs) Very professional. (laughs) Even when we've been moving for six weeks straight. (laughs) It seems like an eternity, but. You're, in, you're where you need to be, I think, I think. Well, I'm not done yet. Today I spent but, all day moving. Tomorrow is the last of it, hopefully. Okay. Fingers crossed. Everyone cross your fingers for me that I'm done right. moving after this. Fingers no crossed. There's finger as crossing sound effects. So. Right. I can't, just the, Yeah, there's only snaps, but <laughs> I'll give you snaps if that helps. It's a little, little applause. I, I cross my fingers with verve then. <laughs> There you go. Um, uh, I want to shout out um, listener Arkins uh, wrote in through our website with some very nice words. Uh, Arkans, Arkans, I don't know, A-R-C-A-N-S. If this is you, here is your email. I have finally been able to get through my (laughs) enormous podcast playlist and get up to date with Cool Breeze Over the Mountains. I love the podcast. It is greatly entertaining and informative and one of my favorite by far, despite me not having seen that many Keanu Reeves movies. Thank you all for it. I am just a bit, this is, the, this is the funniest part of the email. This is why I had to add it. I am just a bit sad that Johnny Mnemonic wasn't to your taste as it was one of my favorite movies. I am with you, Eric. So <laughs> there you go. Solidarity for Johnny Mnemonic. That's it. Uh, that's my half cent. I hope this time I'll be able to go along with you through the filmography of whoever you choose. Keep up the great work. So thank you, Arkins. Uh, that was lovely to hear. And... Uh, it's cool that you're, watch, you're listening along, even though you haven't seen that many Keanu Reeves movies. So, super cool. <laughs> we may have chosen the next filmography, and I'm not going to spoil it, and we're not going to talk Ooh. about it because it's not 100%, but yeah. uh-huh. I'm pretty excited for the possibilities. So Intriguing. It was a listener suggestion. It was not. It was a listener suggestion. It was not one of ours. It was not something nope. that we came up with. So. Nope. We got to, you know, cross the, the T's and dot the I's, but uh, I think it's going to be kind of amazing, hopefully. You know, I could say that it is not Mads About You, unfortunately, but... <laughs> the you know, Mads Mickelson podcast. Maybe, maybe the next not. one. I mean, 
Maybe, yeah, Mads Mikkelsen is wonderful as he is, but half his career is a gymnast, so it just doesn't uh-huh. have the filmography. <laughs> and and I hey, hey, hey. not watching gymnastics, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> right. I'm not qualified. If, I have if, no idea. If somebody idea. wants to watch and review gymnastics of Mads Mikkelsen, like, good for you, and that's a great idea. Uh-huh. Uh, not for me, though. I can get behind subscribing to that. I think it's why his physicality is so good, though, as an actor. Right. He is an, like he he is always, an imposing presence. Well, and he moves differently for each character. Like, there's a lot of character expressed through his body. That is true. That is very true. Point taken. Point taken. We're watching Hannibal together, rewatching. So it's fine. <laughs> together, yeah. but separate. Coincidentally, we, we <laughs> yeah. are rewatching Hannibal together. So, if you're, it's already off the rails. I love it. If you're watching live on Periscope or Twitch, you can chime in with your two cents, have us read your comments aloud, and either agree with you, debate you. Here's how I have to do this now. I literally can't say certain names in a. I will just truncate names, and I've found this about myself. I can't do it, so I have to say them backwards. If I say mm. Zoe first and then Jody. It's fine. But if I say them in the other order, I just put them together. But Zoe, Jody, and Melissa, we see you. Thanks for hanging out. Anyone else, feel free to chime in. And then finally, oh my gosh, we're almost to the, the synopsis. If you want to be excellent to us, please share the show with your friends, rate and review us on iTunes, bring more folks into the fray. Apple podcast user Daisy Frog, I don't know who that is, but thank you. Thank reviewed you. us and we it's, it's five fanta- stars five stars and evan fantastic- swears he didn't pay for it uh, yeah this is the this is the least believable part of the review evan swearing <laughs> that he didn't pay for it but here it is <laughs> the review is do you like keanu do you enjoy listening to clever folks talk about keanu movies well then i have got the podcast for you a really fun listen feels like you're sitting around with friends also really appreciate their honesty when a movie isn't up to snuff in all our opinions and even more so when i disagree I can't believe they're nearing the end of Keanu's filmography. Neither can we. Hoping he's back on film set soon for more episodes. <laughs> P.S. I miss Evan. Now, that throws the, the, the validity of the whole review into question. However, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Thank you, Daisy Frog. And listen, Daisy Frog, <laughs> we're trying. Yeah. He's just too cool and busy for us. He's too elusive. That's the problem. It's not for lack of trying. That's all I can say. (laughs) We'll get him back before the end. I guarantee that we will have him back on before we get through all of what we have to get through. We'll find a film. What is it that he's on untapped? Uh, Evan Acre on Untapped. <laughs> go Acri. bug him there. I don't know how. I don't have the beer oh. app, but go bug him there and tell him to get back on the show. That would be great if all of you could sign up for Untapped, follow at Evan Acre <laughs> on there, and every time he posts a beer, just ask when will when you be back you on be Cool Breeze? <laughs> Do that. Mm-hmm. Do that. Lindsay. <laughs> yes. What, what are we talking about today? <laughs> Today, we are talking about the film The Neon Demon, and the plot synopsis from IMDb is an aspiring model, Jessie, is new to Los Angeles. However, her beauty and youth, which generate intense fascination and jealousy within the fashion industry, may prove themselves sinister. And this is written and directed by Nicholas Winding Wren, whose directing credits also include Valhalla Rising, Drive, only God Forgives, and the Amazon series Too Old to Die Young. 
mm-hmm. and co-starring in this movie along with Keanu is a really impossibly good-looking cast of Elle Fanning, Carl Glussman, Jenna Malone, Bella Heathcott, Abby Lee, Desmond Harrington, Christina Hendricks, and Charles Baker. Mm-hmm. So, Whitney, what did critics think about this movie? Um, we have, on Rotten Tomatoes, a critical score of 59% and an audience score of 51%. So, critics like this movie slightly better uh, mm-hmm. than the general audience does. We have a critic quote from Allison Rose of Flick Direct who says, while we all know modeling and high fashion are hard industries with lots of backstabbing and manipulation, Reffin's take is more surreal and unnerving. And then we have a user quote on Rotten Tomatoes from user Nikki M, who gave it four out of five stars and says, visually striking movie I am not sure I fully understood, but enjoyed watching. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. Um, Zoe P, listener, friend of the show. Says, all style, no substance. Positive. Christina Hendricks, she's just the best. I will watch anything she is in. Uh, co-signed by Whitney and I think uh-huh. also Lindsay. Yes, uh, also Lindsay. Love her. Loved yeah. Keanu being a sleazy, creepy motel guy. He seems to do creepy quite well. Love finding a panther in the room because that happens every day. <laughs> Negative mountain lion. but It yeah. is a mountain lion. Those actually I do wander one. in occasionally in L.A. So that is not as crazy as a panther being in her room. <laughs> not as crazy as a panther, for but sure. still crazy, yeah. I, I mean, mean, like, I grew up in Southern California, likely. and I've seen, I've seen probably about a dozen mountain lions. I don't like so that. So yeah. they are around Southern California, but it's still not very One time we saw likely. a mountain lion dragging a dragging across the a road donkey by its across throat. the road. Oh, no. Yeah. This yeah. danger zone. Yeah. Southern California is the desert, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> okay. May seem well manicured, but there are mountain lions. Anyway, it negative. the wilderness being held back by a thin veneer of civilization. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Shouldn't exist like there that. at all anyway. That's why they've had yep. a drought forever. It's because there shouldn't be people there to the middle of a desert. Anyway. Yep. Read Cadillac Desert. It's a good book. <laughs> <laughs> Zoe's negatives are, I found this one quite boring. I think I got up to get a drink about five times. Not my thing at all. Uh-huh. Fair. Uh, fair, fair. <laughs> not going to say more. I'll leave it for uh, did this movie work for you section. Um, mm-hmm. But we also got a review from Melissa Chanka who said, WTF was this movie? She ate her puked up eyeball. I guess a spoiler alert from <laughs> I was Melissa. Say spoilers, <laughs> Melissa. Wait, wait, no. It's the end. This whole movie was just too much. I need to go rinse it out of my system with a good cop drama like Street Kings. (laughs) Melissa is. (laughs) Melissa will die going to the mat for Street Kings. And I respect that. I really respect that. Yeah, unbelievable. Who's going first? Well, hold on. I have have two questions Mm -hmm. to kind of get us in like a mindset here because I feel like it's important. Okay. So either one of you can go. So if anyone has listened to historical hotties knows the two of you contain multitudes. That's not, it's not up for debate. It's true. So I would like to first ask, because I'm not familiar with everything you've covered. What is either of your relationships to high fashion? Is that a thing that you're like into? Is that like a thing that you, that connects with you in, in any way? 
Not too much. Okay. I've done theatrical and movie costume design. Um, and so I appreciate like form and wearable art and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I really like fashion history is very interesting to me. I think the modern fashion industry is like peak late stage capitalism and all the like terrible ways that that is a thing. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm not super into the fashion industry. Like I don't follow, you know, anything that really is happening in that world. So I follow it only in that I am a student of culture and that is primarily historical in nature, but mm-hmm. it also applies to now too, which is part of the reason why I wanted to do this podcast was because I like looking at culture critically and I do that now with models in fashion and and high fashion and I know some designers I would not say that I am like a fashion person at all though. Okay. Um, I don't follow certain people's careers or or know who's like the hot new thing. Um a lot of my fashion stuff tends towards so- social justicey kind of things that I know. Like yeah. who's hiring trans models and who's hiring the most people of color and who's making uh, clothing, you know, with et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. That's, okay. a, that's what I know about fashion. So not too much about the industry is um, I'm super up on. But I also think that, again, all of us, every single one of us on this podcast has had our hands in the entertainment industry in some way. And I feel like that even if you haven't been necessarily a part of high fashion that overlaps so it significantly with closely, entertainment. Yeah. 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 That's my, my experience is I don't, I don't particularly understand it. Right. I'm, and this is me. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, that's delightful. And I, I know it as far as like uh, the Met Gala, you know, I'm like, Oh, Mm-hmm. Billy Porter was wearing something amazing. Hell yeah, Billy That's Porter. Great. I mean, right. Billy yeah. Porter's always Gala, wearing something. The Met Gala is definitely the most fun part of fashion, I yes. think. You know. So that's me. Very, like, the surfaciest of surface levels for me. Yeah. I will also say, Whitney and I both very unconventional dressers, mm. for the most part. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are not afraid of making a personal fashion statement, though we are not necessarily <laughs> super, like, abreast of the fashion world. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm we- gonna be quiet. You have oh, okay. an in-trail dress, so I don't really think that you can say that I that's do, not a I true I do have statement. a dress that looks like entrails. I do. That's factual. You're a spoopy person. You know, Halloween I is am. your thing. It makes it sense. I, th- that all checks out. Everything is, that's been said checks out. <laughs> yeah. All right. Lindsay just likes to blow up my spot sometimes <laughs> when it comes to... Fashion. That was mutual. I uh, have had many did. a weird fashion choice. Right. She also tangled herself up there as well. So in fairness, in fairness. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's that's fashion. My second my second question is more about what is your relationship with Nicholas Winding Refn films? Because he is a type of director, I would say. Uh, yes. That's, you, you know, like he is a. I don't, yeah, auteur, not necessarily an auteur, maybe early in his career, but he, like, when you watch one of his uh, movies, I would it say is, it's fair to say auteur. He auteur has currently, a, even? He okay. Clearly, not that that's, auteur does not mean good. 
<laughs> no, no, no. no. It just I mean, means yeah. specific. It means you specific, have your own yeah. thing. He has a lot of control over every element of the production. He has mm-hmm. a very specific vision, and everyone is working towards his vision rather than as a collaborative team. And that's not to say that he's not getting good talent, and that's not to say that he's not getting good people who are adding their creative input, but it is all in it is all to achieve his goal. It is yeah, not execution a group goal of a that everyone's vision. achieving. And and that really is to me what when I say a tour, that's what I mean. Okay. Is this is his vision and everyone attached to the project is here to achieve his vision. Not to work together, not to suggest <laughs> right. new things, but to like he knows exactly what he wants and how he wants to see certain things and makes that happen. Absolutely. Okay. So with that definition of auteur applied to Nicholas Winding Refn, uh-huh. what has your I have uh, only seen experience? Drive. Okay, so you've seen Drive. I have seen Lindsay, Drive. Have you I seen? like Drive. Okay. All right. I have only seen Drive as well, other than this. Oh. Okay. No, that's good. <laughs> Uh, I have seen quite a few of his films at this point. Uh, Every single one that we... So Too Old to Die Young is a series, but uh, Valhalla Rising, starring Mads Mikkelsen. I'm just saying, Mads Value. Drive, (laughs) Only God Forgives, Pusher. There's like a Pusher trilogy that he did. I've seen, if not all of his stuff, then then a majority of it. And I could say that, um, you know, like, we're going to get into it, but you know how like this movie, this, this movie takes a turn in a weird way. Mm-hmm. And and Drive did the same exact thing. Like, there's a point yes. in Drive where you're like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> so I just wanted to establish our baseline for the refinness of this film as well. Okay, so, so it's very refin. It, yeah, the refinosity, if you will. Yes, it, it's a hundred. Okay. On a scale of one to a hundred, it's a hundred refin. <laughs> that's... That's what I get when it, when it came up as an Amazon Studios project. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, no major studio at the time would when this was this? released would <laughs> put their name on this at all. And Amazon at the time was hungry for content. So I was like, right so, out of the gate, I'm like, ooh. <laughs> like you said, Drive, which is the only other reference that I've seen, follows this exact model where about two thirds of the movie is very, very literal and very heavy-handed. And the Mm -hmm. last third is all metaphor and symbolism. And you're like, hang on, everything has been super literal and hitting me over the top of the head with your idea and your message. (laughs) And now you've gone completely off the rails into, like, mythological symbolism. (laughs) And so if everything's been real up until now, what is real about this end part? That right. is, to me, exactly what happened in Drive as well. And it definitely did happen in this movie. So that would be my my number one qualifier for whether or not you should see this is, did you like Drive? Yeah, Drive, probably the most mainstream of his films in terms yeah. of cast and, uh, like, overall appeal, Accessibility. I, I guess. Yeah, because yeah, everything else is... <laughs> it's more like this than not, <laughs> so I, I can say that. Um, so. I'm interested to hear what anybody has to say uh, about this. So the floor is the floor is open. I have lots of thoughts and feelings. Go for oh, it. Instead of Whitney's thoughts and feelings corner, it's Lindsay's thoughts and it feelings runs, corner. It runs in time. the family. It runs in the family. <laughs> well, I will have to say it. I'm interested to see what Whitney said. But as I was watching this movie, I kept thinking about how much Whitney must be hating it. But. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's funny, because I didn't, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh Yeah. 
the pacing is not Whitney's um, steez. But uh, so I really there are some of the visual aesthetics of this movie that I really appreciate and really 100%. work for me. Start like, to finish, love, this movie is beautiful to look at. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. And it's got this real kind of 70s glam rock vibe. It reminds mm-hmm. me of movies like The Hunger and even Phantom mm-hmm. of the Paradise in, like, the color palette, the mm-hmm. purples and blues and magentas and, like, um, also the metallics, like, all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It is gorgeous visually. There's really beautiful shots. Um, it's also, like, I think a movie set in L.A. that really feels... The, the L.A. stuff it shows really feels like L.A. to me. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to skip ahead to the do I ultimately recommend this film part, because that's a long way from now. But every However, time that anyone asks me why I left Hollywood and why I moved away and quit film and had no interest in pursuing what I got a degree in, uh-huh. I will just point them to this movie, even though it's not about... You it's know, about the building, fashion industry. But, it's not yeah. about building caves out of foam and making spider webs in like apartments, <laughs> which is what I was doing. But it is very much why I left. Interesting. Well, not even the okay. the culture, which is definitely a thing, but even just no, the not way even the culture, that LA just the is vibe shot. of it. Yeah, yeah. Just like LA as a as a side character in this movie, the way like yeah. the flavor of it is the flavor of L.A. It's it's yeah. one of the truest depictions of Los Angeles that I have seen in a long time. Absolutely. And people get L.A. wrong all the time or they only get parts of it right. There's a real, like, specific glamorized image. And this has the way that L.A. is a weird wasteland with, like, concentrated oases of activity. But it's this weird urban sprawl that feels very desolate a lot of times and in a lot of places, but with those, like, palm trees punctuating everything. Um, <laughs> yeah. And and that way that I said that, you know, it's a wilderness, like, held back by a thin veneer of civilization. L.A., like, maybe because it's sprawling, maybe because of the desert, always feels like bits are being like reclaimed if you don't pay attention to them and it's like a constant pushback in the way that you usually feel in something like a jungle with like tons of growth even though here it's like not a lot of so the mood piece aspect of this movie the visual aesthetic and the feel I liked a lot um I will say that the pacing I think is obviously very like I, I mean, I get that he's clearly going for a thing. <laughs> like, <it is laughs> right. Unmistakably a thing that he's going for. But when all of your shots are the same languid, lingering holding of a shot, it makes them lose significance. Like that kind of a shot has significance if it's punctuating something. But if mm-hmm. everything is that, then it loses any kind of meaning. It's like the exact reverse, but doing the same thing that like a a Michael Bay Transformers movie does because yeah, there are no parallax sweeping camera movements. It's all this. It's all quick cut, dramatic action shots. It's the reason nobody can tell you the plot of a Transformer movie. Like if you ask them after they get out and it's because he does this music video action sequence editing all the time that doesn't tell your brain where the significant story parts are. It makes Mm -hmm. everything the same. And this movie's, editing and like style did that in the opposite direction Mm -hmm. if everything is this languid sort of stagnant dream then nothing feels like significant in the way that you know the camera isn't telling you what's important in the same way so Mm -hmm. 
Um, as far as character development goes, it's one of my biggest problems <laughs> with this movie because, and again, he's going for an allegory, but even an allegory is more interesting if you feel like there's some depth and realism to the characters. Like, everybody is huge cardboard cutouts, and I get that that's part of the statement on the fashion industry, <laughs> but the only people who feel like real people are, um, well, I mean... Christina Hendricks' character feels fairly real and like an actual person, but um, and but Keanu also Reeves, has like, no depth at the same but also time. Has that no character depth. has Keanu no Reeves depth. character the same feels like an actual person, but has no depth. Actually, the intense, creepy photographer guy I felt like felt like more of a real person than almost anybody in this movie. But the only yes. person who feels like they have any character depth is Ruby. And when the necrophiliac sorceress is the only one who feels like a real person in your movie, I feel like that's a problem. <laughs> or is it? <laughs> I mean, maybe not. But <laughs> I, I think if these felt more like actual people instead of puppets, then it would have made the point more strongly. I agree. Because like, how quickly she turns into a narcissistic monster. Like, and clearly the seeds of that were there for her, but like, yeah, it, if they felt less like puppets and more like people, it would have been more impactful, I think. Um, and I think there are some movies like Perfume, the Story of a Murder, who tell a similar mm. kind of story about our relationship to beauty mm. and how we kind of want to own and devour it. Mm, um, I love that movie. It's such a good movie, and I think it makes similar points in a much more like emotionally moving way, in a much way that makes you relate to it, whereas this movie does not make you relate to it at all. <laughs> Cannot recommend Perfume Story of a Murder enough, especially if this in any way did pique your interest in the ideas of how we treat beauty and how we want to own it and claim it and whatever and it's so much it. better told and there is some pacing issues with perfume as well but but I, better than this <laughs> but the whole thing is done in a continuous style where it it has so much more impact like it just it, it it's so much more interesting to me uh, it's like a long movie. It's like three hours long. So buckle in if you're going to do it. <laughs> but, but but it does not feel long, whereas this movie it felt long. This movie felt the same length as Perfume and it is like an hour shorter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So, so yeah. I mean, I think like a lot of the technical work on this movie is beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the score is a very atonal Philip Glass kind of thing, but that goes with what, you know. Uh, I think it, it goes well. Like I said, the editing, I do feel like it loses because it's so one note. It kind of loses mm -hmm. uh, any momentum or, or aiding the story. But the cinematography is obviously gorgeous. And I think all the production design is really gorgeous. And I, as for Keanu, it's a pretty small part. Uh, he definitely makes an impact with it, though. He is sufficiently yeah. he, he brings like, a lot of gravity creepy. to it. Yeah, no, yeah. I think it's really, really good how much he brought to it considering he's not in it very much yeah a lot of his acting revolved around opening and closing a door very hard sometimes and you're like okay mm -hmm. cool but he did, did a lot. lot with that that action he yeah. did <laughs> that was like this is your motivation you hate this door it's like, okay got it <laughs> um yeah, I'm going to I'm going to agree with pretty much everything Lindsay said. I think that like I said, the first 2 thirds of this movie is very heavy-handed and very much you feel like you're being hit over the head with the theme of the movie of like yeah. 
beauty is a commodity and people will do anything to get it and they value it above anything else and, uh, you know, they'll be shitty to you uh, uh, because of it. Great. I mean, okay. Ruby tells we... you in, like, the second scene you're either sex Well, or so food. that's what I was just going to say is my suggestion is have a party just before people get to the party. Play the first two scenes. Play the scene where mm. she's, like, having the pictures taken and then... The I guess technically it's three scenes because we do have the Christina Hendricks in there. And then the bathroom scene at the party where they have a whole thing and then they very, very neatly sum up the message of the movie in all women are either food or sex, which are you. And they're doing it under the guise of like names of makeup. It's either something sexy, like passion or whatever, or it's something food related, like, you know, Plumtastic Peach or whatever or, for lipstick yeah. shades. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they turned it to Elle Fanning, who looks very innocent and naive and like a deer caught in the headlights. And they're like, are you food or are you sex? And then you just mute the movie and then people come over and you have drinks <laughs> and it looks really nice in the background and you play whatever music you like. And you know everything that happens in the rest of the movie. Uh-huh. It is really uh-huh. great background for like a cocktail party with a bunch of hipsters. Um, yes, you're I, setting a very particular tone for this cocktail party, but I would go to oh, it. Oh, you definitely are setting a tone for this cocktail movie, because, like, or this cocktail party, because, like, as previously mentioned, th- one of the last scenes is someone picking up a vomited eyeball and then eating that vomited eyeball. Mm. So, like, you know, it's not like a fifth birthday party kind of a background <laughs> movie, but it is, you know, like... Play some chill, <laughs> chill world beats, lo-fi, <laughs> and have martinis and invite over some people while that movie's in the background. That's the kind of movie that it is. And you get everything else that happens in the movie without needing to hear anybody talk. Yeah, put the dress code on the invitation as fashion-y. Yeah, <laughs> dress to impress. <laughs> Sequins are better. You so know, whatever. But like invitation to this party is what I want to know. <laughs> people have parties again oh that's right okay well then i expect that in months i guess i don't know uh, who yeah. knows yeah a year I'm from probably now i'm not going to be able to do my gothic dinner party for halloween this year and i'm very sad let's okay. not talk about that that's not what we're focusing on <laughs> Just what we're focusing down. on is for the first two-thirds of this movie you're like i get it i get it i get it i get it and then yeah. she gets the lead in the fashion show and immediately he's like 100% symbolism all the time from here to the end of the movie. And yeah, like, she makes out with the glowing triangles, and that's where it, like, yeah, goes no, to the end. Obviously, she's accepted demon. the narcissism. There's this sort of spell that's cast as part of the runway show where she's decided, like, she goes from blue colors to red colors, and she makes out with herself in the mirror, and then it's like she has accepted that she's willing to be a monster to continue being successful, being beautiful. And you're like, okay, great. I get that too. Everyone else hates you because you're successful right away. Totally get that. I'm following everything. But also, you can't go from very literal imagery to very metaphorical imagery without losing people. When I googled Neon Demon, not to, like, read any reviews or do anything, I didn't care what anyone else thought about this movie. Um, (laughs) I just wanted to see what, like... 
how many reviews there were and and you know when you when do you get into the YouTube videos and the smaller commentary because sometimes you'll google a movie and you'll see like five pages of all mainstream like big critics talking about it and then sometimes you go immediately to the like angel fire wordpress sites that are talking about it <laughs> and that tells me a lot about how people felt about it and how like how many people had something to say about it and the number one like did you mean to type this when you type the neon demon? The first thing that comes back is, did you mean to type the neon demon explained? And <laughs> I did not Classic. mean to type the neon demon explained, but there's a ton of YouTube videos about what this movie means and how, you know, what the end, and almost all of it's the ending. What does the ending mean? And it's like, the ending the means ending the same thing as everything else. explanatory yeah. Well, but it's because he goes from literalism to symbolism and no yeah. one's prepared to handle that gear shift. Like, it's a big change where everything is happening sort of in chronological time, almost more or less in real time. Yeah. And yeah. everything that's happening is is realistic and normal and whatever. And then all of a sudden you're in this like magical fantasy symbolism parable and people are like, wait, is this, is this really happening? What, what is dreams? What is not dreams? What is real? What is, um, you know, bleeding out on the floor in, in a new moon all about? And, you know, like all that stuff. And it's all the same stuff is the thing. It's the same story. I think he just ran out of story literally and started telling it symbolically <laughs> instead. Um <laughs> He had a breakup with literalism <laughs> and decided to hook up with his ex symbolism right. two thirds of the for way through the movie. <laughs> for all the hipsters, here's what I mean. <laughs> but in the end, the goal of the movie is people will destroy you, but they also want to be you if you're mm -hmm. beautiful. And that's mm -hmm. true. Fair enough. I'm not disagreeing with the, like, major plot uh, points. I just think there's not enough story, and I think that the turn to symbolism happens too late. There needs to be more symbolism. The earliest symbolism we have is the mountain lion in the room, and that's yeah. not even really symbolism. That's just something that maybe could happen. <laughs> <laughs> you get a bunch of models angry at you for stealing all their jobs could they put a mountain lion in your room probably uh <laughs> is that what he was trying to say with the movie i don't think so i think that was mm. the first overtones of paganism um, i think it was the overtones of paganism and also the monster of like yeah no her she has to give in to the monster before if she yeah. doesn't accept the system, then they're not going to get use out of her and consume her. If she does get into the system and accepts everything and, and is, becomes the monster, um, then... It will devour her, but she'll get It will to, devour her. Yeah. But she will get noticed. Um, and that's all the whole movie says. And, and it's just the change from literal, like we're going to be mean girls in a bathroom and plot against you to we are going to eat your flesh and bathe in your blood and then flush out all the old blood in front of the new moon naked on the floor, uh, etc. 
that all it just the the turn is too hard for most people to follow and i followed it all but i don't think that the pacing and i don't think that the plot was thick enough to allow for that to be seamless yeah uh i think the cinematography is beautiful the lighting is incredible i love how dark the movie is with these like spots of light that are mm -hmm. are you know sometimes you you can be in like that whole the whole thing at the party, in the bathroom, oh, when they're yeah. walking the, down that hallway, the performance and, art piece, and she, yeah. well, even before the performance art piece, that scene in, in the hallway is gorgeous. They're in like a theater yeah. warehouse hallway lined with curtains, and she goes through the curtain, and Elle doesn't follow her, and then she turns back around, and the way that her face and her hand are highlighted to like is, pull her through the curtain yeah. into her world is just yeah. beautiful. All of it is it was beautiful. Gorgeous. It's like that a painting. was some of the stuff. That reminded me the most strongly of the hunger. It really uh, had. Yeah. I, I hope I'm not stepping on Charles' toes here. Nicholas Winding Refn actually has a, 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 a vision problem. He is colorblind to a degree where he can't distinguish midtones very well. So that mm. forces him to make films in a very specific way so that he sees them. So that when we see them, we're kind of seeing the world like him. And I, 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 if, you, if you go back through his filmography and look, even Drive to a degree, he uses light in such kind of, it's weird to, it's weird to describe it as extreme because it's, it's not that all the time, but like it's so unlike most other films. Mm -hmm. And that's simply by, so he can see what is happening. And I, I love that so much. I think that's great because it's something that you don't see. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's beautiful in this movie. I mean, uh, in I mean, it, it was good in Drive too. So I can imagine that that's a hallmark of his movies. But yeah, the the use I, of I light think, and color. I think that was... bringing your unique, whatever it is that makes you unique, into the into your whatever creative process, like whether you're blind mm -hmm. or you're deaf or you're colorblind or you're whatever. Um, it's why I love seeing movies made by people of color because it's such a different worldview and bringing that into the way that you're telling the story makes a difference. It's by far the best part of this movie is him adapting the lighting and the color so that he can see them, which makes it different than anything else I've ever seen. Yeah, that's it's yeah. It's, it's, it's a cool thing. Um, it's a th I 100% vouch lines. keep making movies that way dude <laughs> yeah, but just make everything else way. differently <laughs> well and even in the way this movie went from night to day and how everything when it was dark was more surreal than everything that was happening when it was light was I thought yeah. really nice and again I just want to say Keanu did an incredible job with a very small part yeah, I right. wanted to say, he's a very memorable part of the movie for being such a s short amount of screen time. And that might be the whole making her deep throat a knife in a nightmare thing. But, you know, the whole thing. Like. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It's a this lot. This is definitely the most sexual movie that we've watched out of all of them. I don't think there, it's the most sex that we've seen, but, it's the but most I do sexual. think it's the most sexual. Yeah. Yeah, but again, that's no. part of the the commentary on on fashion and how it chews up and spits out young girls. Sometimes in this movie, literally, I was gonna say that the appetite, like this yeah. movie, is all about that appetite that humans have and how like our two major drives of food and sex, like, well, like the way that the 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 fashion uh, 
guy looks at her when she's walking for the show and they make it very plain that he's gay and he still mm-hmm. looks at her like she's he's a wolf and she's a rabbit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That guy did so much in that scene and it didn't he did say a so word. Much in that it scene. was incredible. I was very impressed with his acting. There is a that. lot of either it's incredible casting or really good directing or both, but there's a lot of roles that are incredibly impactful when they are very small or like the the creepy photographer guy has oh. like three lo- three words that he says in the movie and yet yes. is a both one of the most realistic and like I have met that guy. I have like yeah. auditioned in a room with that guy and also um, impactful character for somebody who barely says anything. Yeah. Andrew, what did you think? I'm going to. Mm, all right. I've been taking notes. I've been taking furious notes here. but try not to click loud. <laughs> Let me say this. All right. I'll start off with this. I didn't like any of these characters. Mm-hmm. I thought that the plotting was wild, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I probably didn't even get all of the metaphor as I've learned from the both of you as I've listened to you, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I could not take my goddamn eyes off this movie. It is unbelievable mm-hmm. to yeah. me. I don't care about fashion. I Again, I don't like any of these people. And there have been movies that we have slammed in the past where I was like, well, I don't like any of these people. So clearly that was the reason why I didn't like it. And this movie proves that wrong. Like, I could not like everyone in a movie and still kind of like the movie. <laughs> so, well done, yeah. Refin. I came at this from a slightly different perspective, uh, having followed him for a long time. I think that this movie maybe is, is an allegory for his own career. Hmm. So, you know how, like, I hate to bring him up so often. But do you have both of you seen Inglorious Bastards, mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino? And you know, at the end, I he does that. Happen, but that's fine. Uh, okay. Say whatever you want I'm, to say. <laughs> I'm going to spoil the last line of Inglorious Bastards for you. That's uh, fine. Brad, Brad Pitt is looking directly at the camera, okay? And he says, I think this just might be my masterpiece. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck you, Quentin. <laughs> like, yeah. That sounds like oh, Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> yeah. It does sound like Quentin Tarantino. But as I'm watching this movie and I'm kind of picking up on all these things, a lot, there was a word that stood out to me in this movie, and I hope I don't butcher it. When Christina Hendricks is looking at the photos uh, of the, you know, it was like the, like she was murdered or whatever. Please correct me. You know, I'm an uncultured swine. I believe she calls them outre. Is that how you pronounce that word? It's it's French word. I looked it up because I had the subtitles on. I heard that exact word used to describe uh, a Nicholas Winding Refn film. And I think that that stuck with him because mm. he put it in this movie. <laughs> and then from, from, the, from the moment I heard that word, I was like, okay, I'm going to pretend that, that the, the, the lead is Nicholas and see where we go. And I think it checks out, right? I, that's all I'm saying. Like everybody wants, there was a period of time went a uh, drive i would say which was maybe two movies before this one where like oh nick he's the new he, we want to we want to shoot a movie that looks like a nicholas winding refn film or like we want to have these weird interactions that feel like a nicholas winding refn film uh and i i don't know that i came at it from that angle and i that really connected with me as like someone who has followed him for a while 
all these pe- all these kind of vultures circling, and he has to decide: Am I going to keep doing what I'm doing, or do I want to give in? And I guess he ke- he's keeping doing what he's doing, so that's good. Good for him. Yes and no, because I feel like so outre means unusual and startling, right? And I feel like he's relying now on that. Like I think he's taken that to heart so much that he's looking for ways to be unusual and startle in a way that I think becomes sort of a caricature and and made it heavy-handed and and slow pacing for me. It's what took me out of it is it was I think he's trying too hard to keep being that because he's known for it. Yeah. Um, so I don't think you're I don't think you're off base there, but I I think that it's actually the downfall of this movie is that he's taken that word to heart. Yeah, I so I, I totally agree with that, too. And for f- as we have like described, like y- your point of reference is drive. And again, same thing. Two thirds in that movie is like, whoa, but it doesn't go. S- it, it gets violent very quickly, but it doesn't go so off the rails where you're like, I can't follow what's going on anymore. Everything kind of continues to track and drive. And I think he has been I think his movies prior to that. They all took the violent turn at some point, but they never dove so far into metaphor. Like there was never mm-hmm. like a literal neon demon. <laughs> like that never <laughs> happened in any of his other films before. So uh, I, I don't know. I, when, I was, when I looked at it from that perspective, I'm like, this is kind of interesting. I could, you know, the fashion stuff was great. And, and as long as I kind of always related it back to f- filmmaking in some way, I thought that that really worked for me. Um, I will agree with both of you to say that this movie obviously is very beautifully shot. Um, even when there are like two to three minute, you know, s- seizure inducing strobe sequences. I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, maybe this is a <laughs> bit too long. But then I'm like, but I can't take my eyes off it also. But may- why have I been watching this for so long? Everyone talks about how creepy Keanu is in this movie. And I don't deny that. But of everyone, his character felt the least dangerous to me. <laughs> I was like, that photographer? He's a straight up serial killer. Like, <laughs> I love that guy. De- that's Desmond Harrington. He was on uh, later seasons of Dexter. And he's a, he was great on that show. And he was fantastic in this movie. But that dude felt like the most dangerous person. Just his whole vibe. And I love that. He, again, three sentences. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I don't like yeah, this guy. No, I don't like it. He did a great job. Yeah. I gotta say, though, as a lady, I'd rather be in the room with him than with Keanu. I don't know. That's a hard choice. But Here's the deal. Keanu's character felt like a lot of bluster. I, don't, I, I mean, may, maybe not, but like he had that guy with the baseball bat. Like, his, like he's like, hey, come on. <laughs> I think that guy was, I don't know. I, I think I recognize that actor, but um, yeah, yeah I mean, for whatever reason. By the time reason. he gets knife rapey slash murdery we're well into the completely allegorical part of it right well that's the thing is is that's why i say that is because by the time he's uh doing that stuff it's now we're in a dream and it's pretty clear to me that we're in a dream but then she wakes up and it's very clear that we were in a dream um and so for me it didn't I don't know. The the knife stuff was in a dream, but the possibly murdering the 13-year-old that he referenced earlier next door to her, she was awake for that part. She calls Ruby well, and stuff. Well, we don't yeah. and we don't know that that's Keanu though. We don't. 
Zoe pulls the argument here. The cre- Keanu is the creep you know <laughs> versus yeah. the creep you don't, I guess. Small comfort, I guess. <laughs> I'm just not going to end up dead in like a, a dumpster with the photographer. He's going to like, I don't want to be alone in a room with either of them, TBH. Yeah. But at least like Lindsay said, I've worked with people like that in the yeah. industry. I can handle the creepy and the terrible that he puts out more than I could handle being beaten to death by his like meth friend in the hotel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Total totally checks out. Totally checks out. Um the only other thing I'll mention is the score, which I really I really liked when you when we paired that score with um the visuals and when I say the visuals in this case I I mean specifically like the colors and the framing Mm-hmm. For me, I got like Suspiria vibes, like uh, mm-hmm. in, sure. in like, original Suspiria, Suspiria or remake yeah. Suspiria, which the original, which the original one. I yeah. never actually saw yeah. the remake. I don't know if it's even probably not going to watch it. But the maybe. remake, I don't know. I think is an enjoyable movie if you are not comparing it to the original Suspiria. Got it. Like, okay, I it like is that the filmmaker. Yeah, I've only it, only seen the original Suspiria. The remake yeah. is good, and it's got Tilda Swinton in it, who knocks it out of the park like she always oh, does. Watch it. <laughs> um, but try Sold. to think of it as a separate movie from the original Suspiria, because if you're comparing them, it will fall short. But it's still a worthwhile movie on its own. All right, well, then I'll check that out. I I, I love a good. You know, let's not try to get into explaining Suspiria, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's I not got what we're the- here to do. <laughs> I definitely got those vibes, and it was very appreciated. So mm-hmm. that, 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 that is something I would put in the positive column for sure. And then that, that, that's, that's really it. I, I, I could not take my eyes off this movie. I, I, I'm still not convinced I fully understand it. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, you know what? This would probably on repeat watches mean more. But then on the other hand, I'm like, I don't know if I want to watch this again either. So Well, it's yeah, it's one of those things. Well, it's an interesting, compelling experience. It's not exactly a fun one. And no, uh, you know, you might it might lose some of the impact on a second viewing because I think part of it is. Yeah, I don't know. It's very beautiful. So I think I could definitely watch it again for that perspective alone. Yeah. For Lindsay's housewarming part or Whitney's housewarming party <laughs> when it's yeah. on in the. I'll, that's when I'll I'll be the guy sitting watching a silent television, be like shush 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 shush. shush, shush. <laughs> Metaphor is happening. Be quiet, everyone. <laughs> so, yeah. do we have anything else? I will say i I think there was a little bit of a missed opportunity in making beauty an exclusively female thing in this movie. Mm. I think if you extended it out to like humanity as a whole and not just made it a female thing, I think it would have been more interesting. I agree with that. I think that if you had made more depth about youth and beauty being commodities and, and in general, it doesn't matter what your gender is. You're still a commodity. I think that would have been a very interesting statement. Yeah. And the way that we want to own and devour beauty, regardless of whose it is like the that bit in the bar after the fashion show where the fashion designer is talking about beauty being not everything, the only thing and stuff. I think it could have been more impact if they'd taken out of the world of like backstabbing, squabbling women and made it a universal about beauty. See, these are the these are the recuts that we would have to make, you know, if time was on our side. (laughs) 
I would just mm. go in and do all that. But here, well, where are the deleted I could, scenes? If I could just remake every movie that I don't like, I would be a happy camper. <laughs> you know, some of the films we've watched with Keanu, I feel like are salvageable by just cutting them down and then reorganizing some of the scenes. I feel like mm-hmm. a movie like The Prince of Pennsylvania, Whitney, if we sat down, we could edit the shit out of that and make that a good, funny movie. I, feel, I, I honestly think we could. I think that there's potential there, but I honestly think that we would... I don't think we could do it with just editing. I think we'd need more footage. I think there's stuff that would need to fill it some of the holes. Because the, the plot was... I don't think it's 100% fixable. It could be like probably like 80% fixable, though. Yeah. If we most recut the, it. I'm definitely not movies... doing that, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> That feels, that's a whole different show. And then you get in the copyright law. I don't want to do it, but someone should do it. Any one of our listeners. It's an interesting thought experiment, at least. Feel free to take up the mantle. (laughs) Any other notes? Helen in the chat says Keanu's physical presence is terrifying knife or no knife. That Mm -hmm. was was pretty well, yeah, I, I agree with that. Jody's drinking. About time. It's about time. (laughs) um yeah i think that's it i think that's everything i have i think let's go to the interstellar favorite oh my it's time to knock on the void i can't get over that i love that (laughs) (laughs) let's get into it pop quiz asshole there was a time when i had the need to learn from you oh what the hell do you know lose i don't lose i win got a lot to learn about sportsmanship. Oh my, Pop Quiz assholders are very own Quizzo show where the host asks each of us three questions. If one of us gets it wrong, the other has a chance to steal. And if they get it wrong, the other person has a chance to steal, assuming they remember the remaining answer. Points are now <laughs> cumulative and only determine who wins the episode. As always, I'm very excited to bring out our master of ceremonies, Charles Nolan. Hello, everybody. Hello, Charles. It's been a while. It has. I hope that you're all doing quite well. Yeah. Yeah. I can. As as well as can be expected, (laughs) Charles. Good to hear. I expect a lot. (laughs) Charles has high expectations for all of us. Are we ready to dig in to trivia? Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, let's start off. With Lindsay. Oh. All right. The lipstick that we see Gigi applying in the first bathroom scene is a reference to what Stanley Kubrick movie? Was it a reference to 2001 A Space Odyssey, The Shining, or A Clockwork Orange? The Shining. That is correct. Whoa. Mm-hmm. It was red rum. Red rum. Oh, that's it. Okay, that makes mm-hmm. sense. That makes sense. See? Charles just asked the only question that I think he'll be able to answer for the whole movie, and it was to Lindsay. <laughs> Great. I was so ready. I was like, The Shining. I bet he's going to talk about The Shining, because she said red rum. And then, now, uh, Anyway, continue, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see how you do on this question, Whitney. Yeah. All right. Christina Hendricks' character says that she sees women from small towns because some guy in the food court told them they were beautiful enough to be a model. What was that some guy's name? 
Was it Trey, Ryan, or Chad? Oh, that's a really good question. I don't remember her saying a name. I'm going to say Trey. That is incorrect. Steel. Andrew. It's, uh, it's going to be Chad. It was Chad. <laughs> An intentional incel reference or not? That's the question. <laughs> he was insulting Chad's before it became a Twitter thing, I think, maybe. I don't know. 2016, 15, 16? Yeah. Chad. Yeah. Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Charles. The reason that Nicholas Winding Refn wanted to film specifically at the Paramore Mansion was what? Hmm. A. He could repaint the walls without issue. B. It's haunted. Or C. It has historical significance that ties in with the story. Uh, I'm going to say that it was haunted? That is correct. Nice. That was going to be my guess, too. How could you not talk about a haunted building? (laughs) (laughs) It's perfect. Lindsay. Where is the motel that Jesse is staying in? Is it Pasadena, Calabasas, or Inglewood? Pasadena, which was a very weird choice because... It is not a beat-up section of town. That is correct. (laughs) I remember thinking that, too. Pasadena is where all the, like, yuppies buy houses. Pasadena is the old money section of town. At, like, the turn of the century, it was where all the old money Republicans from the East Coast moved. It is a nice area of town. That's interesting. Do do y'all have any idea where that was actually filmed? Because I assume it was all on location. Uh, I don't think Pasadena. I would yeah. say, <laughs> yeah, much more I likely mean, Inglewood would be Hollywood proper or Inglewood. Yeah, Hollywood oh. proper. A lot of that's really run down, or maybe like Culver City. Yeah. Oh, interesting. All right, Whitney. Yes. How many takes did it take for Abby Lee to successfully break the mirror in the bathroom with the trash can? One. 10 or 20. What? Oh my God. I can't imagine that day if it was 20. <laughs> I think it's a, really, it's a really good story if it was one. So I'm going to say one. That is correct. Yeah, that's nice. a great story. She kills if she it. did it in one take. They were going to break the mirror with other things and then decided to give it a try. And the take was just too good. <laughs> nice. Nice. Dig it. It's a good story. Andrew. Which actress dropped out of the movie due to scheduling conflicts, leaving room for Elle Fanning to step in as the lead? Whoa. Was it Kira Knightley, Zoe Saldana, or Carrie Mulligan? Oh, man. Um, who was having scheduling conflicts in 2016, I wonder? This is how Whitney would I mean, approach the question. Kind of all of them, though. Yeah, I guess. Um, I'm going to, because of the doe eyes, I'm going to go with Carrie Mulligan. That is correct. That was going to be my yeah. guess, too, based on the other two are too old. Not that they're I mean, obviously too they're old. gorgeous. I mean, none of them are too old, like but also a 16 year old. Yeah. Ingenue. Yeah. yeah. 
I wonder what how old Elle was while filming this. Seventeen. Wow. Okay. Not not too far off at all. She definitely looked the part. Mm-hmm. She signed on when she was sixteen, filmed while she was seventeen, and it was released when she was eighteen. Dang. <laughs> all right. Back up to the top of the round for the final round of questions in regulation. Lindsay. Yes. What's it feel like to walk into a room like it's the middle of winter and you're the sun? <laughs> a, it's wonderful. B, it's everything. Or C, it's a dream. B, it's everything. That is correct. All right. I know all right. that one from personal experience. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Thank you. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Whitney. Mm-hmm. Three countries worked together to make this movie. The USA, Denmark, and whom? A, Monaco, B, Italy, or C, France? Whoa. France? That is correct. Nice. Yeah, it feels very French. <laughs> it does feel French. <laughs> For the final question of regulation. And warning, there is some strong language in this question. <laughs> I love it. Thank you for giving it to no, me. I'll cover my delicate ears. <laughs> Andrew. Nicholas Winding Refn would shout, violence motherfuckers, instead of what during filming? Action, cut, or quiet on the set? <laughs> I... I'm so Boy, badly... Boy, does that fit everything that I think I know about about him? Revit. Yeah. How about instead of action? That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, my gosh. That was wonderful. <laughs> that last round was particularly brilliant, Charles. Well, thank you. <laughs> we now have the bonus round of questions where anyone can buzz in to get the answer, and it is still anybody's game. All right, all right. Bonus question number one. What was the original working title of this movie? Was it I Walk With The Dead, Stilettos, or Eye of the Beholder? Me. Whitney. I Walk With The Dead? That is correct. Nicely done. Yep. That feels like a movie I didn't even hear the third one. I was just like, it's not stilettos. <laughs> Eye of the Beholder. It was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Bonus question number two. To whom was this movie dedicated? Was it Liz, Liv, or Lynn? Me. Andrew. Liv. That is correct. Yeah. I definitely remember seeing that. You scared but me. I, I couldn't, but it was like, I could not have told you if it was Liz or Liv. Yeah. So. Uh, as soon as you th I was thrown off with Liz, I was like, oh, wait, maybe? Me too. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> All right. For the final question of Pop Quiz Asshole. Here we go. Approximately how many 
different mirrors do we see in this movie? <laughs> oh my gosh. 40, 50, or 60? Me. Whitney. 60? That is correct. Yeah. A lot of mirrors. By my Lots count, it was 62. Holy sh... Yeah. Wow. If, if I had gotten in before Whitney, I was going to just guess the highest number of mirrors. That you <laughs> yeah. I think it was some sort of commentary on vanity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I, that just... <laughs> straight over my head. It's really funny, Charles. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. This was a fantastic round of Pop Quiz Asshole. A very close. But the winner is Andrew. <gasps> what is happening? Up is down. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Mass hysteria, yes. Indeed. Oh my goodness. I love a good new girl quote, I have to say. <laughs> That was what you were quoting, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I haven't seen every episode, but I, 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 you know, from the internet, you pick up just enough to mm -hmm. be dangerous, as it were. So, mm -hmm. yeah, perfect, perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Charles. You are very welcome. Before I leave, there is, of course, Pop Quiz Audience. Of course. <gasps> All right. We had three questions from last week. The movie, the name of the movie I've already forgotten. <laughs> the whole, whole truth. truth. <laughs> I have remembered it. Oh my god! It's been a long week in the void. It is. It is also <laughs> that forgettable, though. It's truly. Uh, it's uh, that forgettable, and also it has been that long of a week. So. Uh huh. Yeah. No worries. No worries. <laughs> I get it. Last week's questions were: What three words do we see on the Louisiana state seal? From what school did Janelle graduate, and where was filming largely supposed to take place? The three words we see on the state seal are union, justice, and confidence. Points go to Zoe P. Zoe! From what school did Janelle graduate? The correct answer was Columbia. No one guessed this. I have to have a bummer sound. I forgot. Damn it. It is most assuredly not excellent. <laughs> right. And where was filming largely supposed to take place? For a movie set in Louisiana, why would they would have filmed it mostly in Boston beats me. But it was supposed <laughs> to largely be filmed in Boston. Points go to Jody. Nicely done. Nicely done. And now we have three questions from this week. All right. Tweet to me, Charles Nolan, on Twitter at the Nolan, T H E N O W L I N, or use the hashtag popquizaudience. Question number one. When asked, Do you want to go out again by Jesse? What is Dean's response? Ooh. When Dean pays off Hank for the damages, how much does he pay him? That is question number two. And question number three is the neon set of triangles that Jesse hallucinates several times is the same pattern, though upside down, as a recurring MacGuffin in what video game series? Yes! Nice. 
<laughs> I love it. Tweet to me and you will get called out in our next episode. That's perfect. I'm so glad that I didn't address that because I, I, it's, it's immediately mm-hmm. seeable. To, to, mm-hmm. it's, it's great. Yes. It's great. I'm very glad you did not call that out as well. <laughs> I might have cried. <laughs> no. Don't make Charles cry. I don't think I could handle it. I don't think I could handle it. I don't know what it's like, but I'm very afraid of it. <laughs> I kind of, I actually just kind of like that Charles plays video games in the void. This is cool. This is news. Every week we find out a little bit more about Charles in the void. I am very excited for Cyberpunk 2077. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> Makes total sense. Makes total sense. Oh, well, Charles, as always, thank you so much for putting all this together. I know it can't be easy. Thank you so much for having me. It's pretty easy. I just pull up questions from the Rolodex in my head. <laughs> well, all right, so it is very easy. All right, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Have a great week, Charles. We'll talk with you at some point in the very near future. That sounds great. You have a great week as well. I am leaving now. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I like that Charles now announces exiting, exiting, mm-hmm. because that's not always true. He might pop up again. We don't know. Indeed. So earlier in the episode, Whitney found out that she's hosting. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, take it away. Step us through. The Neon Demon. Either way, I was planning on reading from the Wikipedia plot synopsis, so one way or the other, you were going to get the same result. Um, <laughs> right, either whether I was, it was reading a joke it or, or serious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh. So the plot is as follows. Um, following the death of her parents, 16-year-old aspiring model Jessie has just moved from small-town Georgia to Los Angeles. She meets photographer Dean, who does her first shoot, and makeup artist Ruby, who introduces her to fellow older models Sarah and Gigi. The three women are intrigued by Jessie's natural beauty and curious about her sexual proclivities. Jessie feigns experience in the matter. Jessie is signed by Roberta Hoffman, the owner of a modeling agency, who tells her to pretend that she is 19 and refers, to, refers her to a sh- test shoot. Whoa refers her to a test shoot with notable photographer Jack MacArthur. The shoot is successful, and Gigi and Sarah envy Jessie's youth. Jessie goes to a casting call for fashion designer Robert Sarno, where Sarah is also present. He pays zero attention to Sarah, but is entranced by Jessie. A distraught Sarah asks her how it feels to be the one everyone admires. Jessie admits it's everything. Sarah lunges toward her, and Jessie accidentally cuts her hand on glass. Sarah sucks the blood from Jessie's hand, and Jessie rushes mm. back to her motel and faints, hallucinating strange images. At Sarno's fashion show, Gigi tells Jessie about the cosmetic surgery she has had done. As Jessie is closing the show, she sees a vision of the glowing triangle she hallucinated before. After the show, a visibly changed Jessie goes out with Dean to a bar. There, Sarno denigrates women who have cosmetic surgery using a humiliated Gigi as an example. In contrast, he praises Jessie's natural looks. Dean challenges Sarno's view and tries to convince Jessie to leave, but she rejects him, now displaying a new narcissistic persona. 
Jesse has a nightmare of being forced by Hank, the lecherous motel owner, to sexually swallow a knife. She wakes up to hear someone fidgeting with her door lock. She quickly turns the deadbolt, but is left to listen as the intruder breaks into the next room over and assaults the female occupant inside. Terrified, she calls Ruby, who tells her to come over. Ruby tries to initiate sex with her, but Jesse rejects her, revealing herself to be a virgin. Ruby draws a lipstick face symbol on Jesse's mirror and leaves for her second job as a makeup artist at a morgue where she pleasures herself with a female corpse. Hmm. Ruby returns home and finds Jesse now unabashed in her narcissism. Sarah and Gigi arrive and attack Jesse. Ruby pushes her into the empty swimming pool, breaking her leg. And other stuff appears. Yeah. <laughs> I think breaking her leg is probably a little bit. Uh, <laughs> there was light, a leg put it broken. Lightly. Yeah. There was yeah. a visible broken leg, but yes, there was. Yes. The women <laughs> then approach her with knives. After they butcher Jessie and consume parts of her body, they all bathe in her blood. Ruby is revealed to have occult tattoos. She lies in Jessie's unmarked grave and later nude in her house as a torrent of blood gushes from her genitals. The next day, Sarah and Gigi attend one of Jack's shoots with another model named Annie. Jack is suddenly enthralled with Sarah and fires Annie in order to hire Sarah. In the midst of the shoot, Gigi feels ill and leaves. Sarah watches Gigi vomit up one of Jessie's eyeballs. She screams with regret, I need to get her out of me, and stabs herself with a pair of scissors. Sarah watches Gigi die, eats the regurgitated eyeball, and returns to the shoot. And then it says the end credits shows a woman who does not show her face but looks like Sarah walking alone in the Mojave Desert. I definitely assumed that that was Elle Fanning and not Sarah. Yeah, that's, that's what I went for as well. Yeah. But Wikipedia says it looks like Sarah. That's it. That's the movie. <laughs> Super easy, right? You mm -hmm. just get through yeah. it. I mean, because as far as story goes, it's... It's minimal, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot, right, mm -hmm. of lingering on visuals. Like Lindsay said, every shot is, like, very languorous and takes a very long, sensual time to complete itself. There it is, the neon demon. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's hard. Do you, <laughs> do either of you recommend this film? Yeah, this is another one where I don't not recommend it, but I would only recommend it to you as a result of a particular conversation, which has been my recommendation state before. Like, if we were talking about visually interesting movies or something like that. Or, or thought, you said I, that you really love Drive but haven't seen any of his other movies. <laughs> yeah, something <laughs> like that. Um, uh -huh. Then I would I would recommend this in that case. I would never recommend this movie without, like... A caveat. Like, I wouldn't recommend this to just anybody. Um, sure. But, yeah, but I wouldn't not recommend it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we have our box circumstantially recommend it. <laughs> I circumstantially... <laughs> okay. Okay. Whitney, what you got? Um... Yeah, I agree uh, with what Lindsay says. Um, I definitely don't just recommend it I'm not going to stop someone on the street and be like, dude, you got to see Neon Demon. Because I don't think anyone needs to see Neon Demon. Sure. I do 
think that it was interesting. And I think there was a lot of stuff that I hadn't seen before. I just think the story itself wasn't expertly told at all. I think that as a music video, it was brilliant. As a video Mm -hmm. to play at a party with the sound turned off, it was great. (laughs) But like, I think it's higher on the list of movies that I would watch again than I expected it to be. But I don't think that out of hand recommend it. So. Okay. All right. (laughs) I will will, uh, share the sentiment. And say, I, I do recommend this film. If It's easy if you are a fan of the director's work, right? This, for me, feels like a very easy thing to recommend. If you also have tendencies towards movies from directors, like it was mentioned already, uh, Kubrick, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where Tarantino. it could be a little... Yeah, if you, it's a little cerebral sometimes, and it... It, I mean, there's definitely some Fellini inspiration in this yeah. movie. Yeah. There are a lot of other directors. If you're who into you auteurs, Jean Pierre Genet, even, who makes movies nothing mm-hmm. like this, kind of makes movies like this because he's so focused on the visual and like the, the language of the way that it, the story is told. That, like, if you are into those directors, it's worth seeing, but it's not expertly done when it comes to story like a lot of those other people are like i think tarantino is really good with story and pacing Mm -hmm. i think fellini's shoots just as slowly pacing can sometimes be an issue for me with fellini but i think the story is airtight like i think the characters are so rich and the world is so rich so like i think that it it lacks when you put it with all of these other kind of directors but i also think that if all these other kind of directors intrigue you it's a movie worth seeing yeah that's exactly where i fall on this film as well i personally really was mesmerized by it again not connecting too much with the the content like oh a movie about the fashion world at its at its core if that was your pitch to me i'd be like "Eh, pass (laughs) but when i watched this i was like oh it's not that it's not that so very cool very cool all right and now we get to a very interesting part. Uh, where is this going on your Keanu movie ranking? Yeah, that's a good question, Lindsay. <laughs> well, I have a, a much more limited list. I have it. <laughs> that's true. Um, and maybe you could fill in because on your list, I don't. I forgot what number four was. <laughs> so he left I the just, spot for you for number four and didn't fill it in here. Um, I'm yeah. just going to put this link in the chat for you so that you can go I couldn't in there. remember what was there, but yeah, Much Ado, Speed, Dracula, whatever happens in number four. Maybe it was The Matrix? I can't remember. Private Lives of People. Yeah, it was the first Matrix. Okay, yeah. that's what I thought. I didn't want to... There we go. I popped it in. Great. All right, <laughs> so I've got it at number 20, which is higher than I thought it would be when it was over, but... When I was thinking about what I would rather watch again, I do think that visually there's a lot of artistry that makes it higher than something like 47 Ronin or Bram Stoker's Dracula or Little Buddha for me. I think that um, story-wise it doesn't necessarily hold up as super high, but just would I put this on again while I was like doing dishes or something? Probably because it, it was very, very beautiful. Okay. All right. So it's higher than I thought it was going to be. Number, Number 20. 20. That's that is pretty. Yeah, here's almost yeah. Well, top third. All right. 
<laughs> I think this goes right after Constantine for me. Okay. Oh, Constantine's not in here. Con- oh, Constantine's <laughs> Constantine my- was number four? Constantine was five. I think Matrix, the first Matrix was four and Constantine was five. Got it. I'm a- updating on the fly. So you're going to number six. <laughs> you like yeah. this more than Pippa Lee? That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would rewatch this before I would rewatch Pippa Lee. There's a lot of performances in Pippa Lee I really yeah. liked. But what I think is really funny is on my list, I put Neon Demon right between Chain Reaction and The Private Lives of Pippa Lee, which is such a weird <laughs> progression of movies. Also, right. we apparently both consider this one better than Pippa Lee. Just, yeah. just a hair better than Pippa Lee. <laughs> um, I'm going to put this at number 15 on my list, actually. Ooh, that's high. Yeah. Um, for me, also, it's not that I... This is the one that defies the whole precept that we say, like, which of these would I rather watch? Like, it, it is just above the devil's advocate, or I'm sorry, uh, just above, well, yeah, let's say it's just above the devil's advocate, right? And if you were like, what do you want to watch, the neon demon or the devil's advocate? I'll probably actually pick the devil's advocate. But just mm-hmm. as a film in general, I'm like, I love everything that went into this, even if it was a little bit hit or miss. We've talked mm-hmm. before about, like, when they go for it. That is something. And this movie that, really goes that. for it. This yeah. movie yeah. goes for it very hard. And I appreciate the work and the talent that did go into this movie. I just think it was a boring story that didn't say anything. Yeah. yeah. I would always rather watch something where somebody went too far than did too little. Yeah. Yeah. I like it when people commit and really go for something. So even if this isn't like by any stretch, like my new favorite movie or a perfect movie. And I do think something like Fellini has a lot of this, except the characters feel more vibrant and real. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, yeah, I like when people go for it. <laughs> we have Melissa over in the chat here. She's, she's, not, she, m- not, she's pleased. not pleased. <laughs> <laughs> Above 47 Ronin, for, for both Whitney and I, Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's just above 47 Ronin for Whitney. It's far it's, above 47 Ronin for me. It is more than 10 places. Let's just <laughs> yeah. say that. I'm not going right. to go into the nitty gritty, but there are t- more than 10 movies between Neon Demon and 47 Ronin for Andrew. So Right. Look, it, hey, it's not above Man of Tai Chi, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's a high bar, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. With those two films back to back. So this feels good. I, I, I like this. I like the list as it is. We have one more film to cover this season and then The Reckoning. And then we move on to what will be our final season of Cool Breeze. Don't get me started. Mm-hmm. I'm going to cry. Well, that's great. Everything's been logged. We recommend this film with asterisks. <laughs> and <laughs> it, it has been ranked as such. So next week, I will be stepping us through what I said is the final film of season three. The Bad Batch. The uh, cool thing about this one is we're probably going to do a Netflix party for this one. We have to kind of hash out the details, but I'm hoping to do it this weekend, if possible. Uh, So Whitney and I have to figure out like when we can get this to work, but we will obviously tweet out the link uh, to join us. That was so fun last time we did it, so I'm very excited about it. Yeah. The... uh... What, what was the film? Was that Man of Tai Chi? Man of did? Tai Chi, yeah. All right. So the reviews for The Bad Batch are not quite as good. 
as the man of Tai Chi. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to be quite as effusive in the chat this time. But I don't yeah. know anything about the Bad Batch, and I always try to remain optimistic. Yeah. Like I said, I only have the notes done through the Bad Batch, and I just had to like copy pasta some of the Rotten Tomatoes stuff. I, I try not to do too much uh, digging or anything like that. So, uh, But we will let you know about that and then be in your podcast feeds as normal on Thursday when it drops. So that's it. We did it. We did it. We did do Woo-hoo. it. Evan uh, was actually watching live, and he sent me an article, and I would love to just talk about this for a second here. The, the title of the article is John Wick is called John Wick because Keanu Reeves kept saying the wrong title. What? <laughs> and, and essentially what it breaks down to is the film was originally called Scorn <laughs> and he kept calling it John Wick in interviews. So they just changed the name of the movie. That's amazing. And John Wick is way better than Scorn. Yeah. Uh, like 100% Scorn is like that generic... It never would have been a thing if it was called Scorn. Let's mm-hmm. just put it that way. It's certainly much better to build a franchise off of John Wick than Scorn. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I have to pee. So let's tell everyone where we can find us. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> Lindsay, you can, you can cut Whitney's in half. Tell the fine folks where they can find you on the internet. I do a show uh, with Whitney over there called Historical Hotties, where we talk about different categories of historical figure and try and figure out which one is the biggest babe. We just released an episode about spies, and our next episode is going to be about drummers. So check us out. We're a great show. All right. Whitney, anything you want to add? Nope, that's it. Uh, I am at Whitney (laughs) underscore Nelson on Twitter, and you can find me and other free tweets of shows and stuff there, other podcasts. Perfect, perfect. Uh, Thank you, chat, for hanging out. This will be an abrupt. Find me at Dark Driving on the internet, at Cool Breeze Pod. Send me your reviews. Send us iTunes reviews. Do all that good stuff. I press this button. Cool music starts to play. So Whitney can pee. Whitney can pee. Bye. <laughs> There's a little Whitney-shaped dust cloud <laughs> in a Looney Tune. In the words of Phyllis Preston and Ted Theodore Logan, be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. Mm-hmm.